how we view something, especially a topic like today's, um, is really important. Now, this picture I want to put on the screen might not be true for everyone, but it's, it's true for my family. I don't know if you've seen that on the internet before. Like, that is my experience with my children, um, except probably I do throw them a bit higher than that too. I'm what I like to call myself as an enthusiastic parent. Um, I'm the kind of parent that everyone's looking at going, I think he's gone too far here. Like, that kid doesn't look too happy, but I'll go for it anyway. And I know for a fact that on numerous occasions when I've chucked said children in the air, uh, Grace has been like, what are you doing? Stop it. They're not enjoying it. But I think my children's face tell a completely different story about whether they're enjoying it. Um, I do take it too far. There have been two occasions involving roundabouts where my children just haven't been able to handle the G-force. <laughs> I, I did have a little pep talk with them afterwards, and I'm like, look, I can do this. I can stay on. I can't believe that you guys can't. But when both children are flying off a roundabout and face-planting, you kind of start thinking, maybe I've spun it a little bit too fast. At which point, uh, I never get on the wrong side of your mother-in-law. That's a lesson, isn't it? She's just screaming at me. But also, so was my wife. And actually, so were my kids. So my roundabout etiquette is now better, but I still chuck children in the air really high, and that's fine, and it's all good fun, because I'm like, that first one is fine. Perspective. Perspective's a really important thing, and especially when we come at a text in the Bible, because we can have all our own views and our own stuff that we carry with us and things that we've learned along the way. But actually, well, what does the Bible have to say in something? I found it really useful. Just as Elijah had to look at his dad for, do I know this is okay? Do I know this is right? Give me a fresh perspective. I found that really helpful for me in my life to talk to my dad about it. I don't mean my earthly father. I mean my father in heaven. There's sometimes when I'm like, I don't understand this passage. Or this passage seems a bit complex. God, what do you have to say? And so often we come at things with our kind of preconceived ideas about what we think as opposed to what God has to say. And uh, we really want with something like Matthew 19, 1 to 15 to get it right. I'm going to say that before we start. We really need to get this right because it's, it affects so many people and so many of us. In fact, I reckon it affects all of us here present this morning. Because we need to know what God has to say. So often we come at stuff and we're like, well, this is my world. This is the world that I'm living. This is what life says is acceptable and right. So therefore the Bible must be wrong. Instead of going, perhaps the Bible's right and it needs to impact on how I view the world. That's where I want us to come from this morning. That we're saying, this is what Jesus has to say. He knows better than I do. He knows better than you do. And we'll take it as best we can as to try and understand what Jesus has to say. Because passages like this, which talk about divorce, are pretty heated, aren't they? They're like quite sensitive. They're quite close to our hearts. They can be quite painful. And so we really need to get it right. We really need to hear what Jesus has to say. And we'll all, as I said, have our own two cents and our own opinions and our own kind of thoughts on what is going on. That's exactly what happened back then. If you read the passage, I'm going to read it in a minute. The Pharisees are trying to test Jesus because they're like, Jesus, what do you think about this subject? We think this and our mates over here think this, but Jesus, what do you have to say on this? 
And divorce, like, from the time that Jesus was around to today has completely changed, hasn't it? Like, back in the day, it was a bit of a kind of taboo subject, if you like, 2,000 years ago. It didn't happen all that much. But as I said, for us today, there'll be some of us here present that have experienced it for ourselves. There'll be some of it who are children of those who parents that have split up or grandparents that have or we have children that have or our work colleagues or our friends have. Basically, it affects all of us, doesn't it? Because of, of what's going on in the world. And you know what? Whether we've gone through it ourselves or not, I think it's fair to say that it's messy and it's broken and it leaves brokenness and hurt all the time, doesn't it? Um, And it leaves a bit of a residue that people carry with them and can carry with them. And they don't have to, but they can do. You know, I've heard people say to me, oh, well, we'll get divorced and then it will be over. But life doesn't work like that, does it? What happens if you've got children together and you still need to go to parties or weddings or see that, but you're still in and out of each other's lives, aren't you? Life carries on. It's not as simple as just saying, we're done and it's over. And so actually, I don't believe there is a kind of one-size-fits-all governing principle on this. I don't think there is a, well, everyone should be excommunicated like some churches do. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But what I do think Jesus teaches here are some principles on what marriage looks like that help us then understand this question. Like, if you look at the passage I'm going to read in a minute, the the Pharisees are like, tell us about this. And Jesus goes, I'll tell you about marriage. That's how Jesus responds, which is why I'm going to talk about marriage a little bit here, which might seem a bit odd given the context of the passage. But all these situations involve people, and it's unique to them. No two people are the same in this room, and so no two people's experiences are going to be exactly the same. So why do we treat people like everyone's the same? Marriage is the same. God is the same. But as people, we're not, are we? We're all broken in different ways. This is what Matthew 19 has to say. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. On his, so he's on his way to Jerusalem now. I just want you to notice that. We've got that far. Like, it, it's changed. We're on the home straight. That's good news, right? All right. Okay. I'm excited about that. It's only taken us two and a half years. We're on the home straight. And Pharisees, we love the Pharisees. They came up to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You'll recognize some of that from weddings, won't you? What God has joined together, let no man separate. And it struck me here, like I said, that the Pharisees are testing Jesus. They're not actually out for the information. They just want to make Jesus fall down and mess him up. And so Jesus responds by raising the bar in talking about marriage. And not just that, talking about how awesome marriage is. So often, I think, as Christians, we can get caught in the negativity, get caught in like, oh, what about this contentious issue or, or this? Well, what about, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the great things he does do. Let's talk about awesome things like marriage, like he does 
here. And I just want to pick up on a few things that Jesus teaches, well, two things that Jesus teaches on, and then we'll move on from there for the question which is posed by the Pharisees themselves. This is what verse 4 has to say. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, them being us, or Adam and Eve in this case, but we're like Adam and Eve, made them male and female? And Jesus here, this is really important, okay, when talking about marriage, references back to Genesis 2. Now, Genesis 2 is before Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where the fall is, where there's sin, where there's messiness, where there's brokenness, which means marriage is a created ordinance that came before sin, which means marriage is good, which means marriage as God created it between one man and one woman is good. That's what the Bible teaches here. That's what Jesus says. It's not me making it up. It's what Jesus says here in Matthew 19, that it was good. Back before stuff went wrong, there was Adam and there was Eve and it was cracking. They had a great time. They were loving it. Life was great. The garden was beautiful. There was lots of things going on and it was fantastic. And then Genesis 3 comes along. The story comes along and it all goes horribly wrong. This gift of marriage that was given ends up in relationships being full of tension, being full of hurt. And anyone who's here, you can put your hand up on this if you like, who's ever been hurt by somebody? If you haven't, that is amazing. I would love to like know why and you can give me like some tips. But we all hurt each other and we all are hurt by one another because we're broken kind of shadows of who we ought to be. Because we mess up and we're broken. And that's every single one of us. But God says here, before that time was this thing called marriage. And it was really good. And it was awesome and it was right. And he said, therefore, Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24. Directly quotes it and says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Uh, That's Genesis 2.24. The two shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, man is alone. He doesn't know what to do. He's alone. God creates woman. It's a beautiful thing. The first marriage happens. It's happy. It's joyous. It's brilliant. It's really good. There was no arguing in Genesis 2 about who takes the bins out or about who does the washing up. We used to have this rule. I've been a bit slack because I'm a bad person that whoever cooked, the other one washed up. But I think since the arrival of a dishwasher, the, the kind of lines have blurred slightly. But those things never happened. There was never that argument. It was, it was good. There wasn't the tension. There wasn't the pain. There wasn't the rubbing each other up the wrong way. Marriage, it's really important, Jesus said here, is a God-ordained thing. Created for a lifetime between a man and a woman. And I believe, personally, it provides the bedrock of human society. Like a strong society, I think, is built on strong marriage. That's what I think. That's what I believe. That's what I see in in marriage and in, in, in societies that promote things like sacrifice, devotion, love, patience. They're good places to be, right? That's a good society to be, isn't it? Where everyone's sacrificing for one another, where everyone's patient with one another, where everyone's loving one another and devoted to each other. They are all good things and cultivated in the most intimate of human relationships, which is a marriage. So Jesus says to that question initially, and they're saying, what do you think about marriage, Jesus? He's saying, hold on, fellas. Marriage is something that God has created. 
Therefore, it's not something that can just be undone. It can't just be something that we go, bosh, uncreated, not interested anymore, we'll forget about it. It's not a trivial thing. It's not something that I've created. It's not an institution that man has come up with. It's something that God has said is good. And that's really important because if God said it's good and God's created it, then surely only it's up to God with to who if it's uncreated or dissolved or changed. Does that make sense? Like it's God's to do what he wants with, right? It's his thing, something he created, and it's a really good thing. And then Jesus says this, marriage is of one flesh, he says. If you read um, the passage, Matthew 19, he goes on and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And this one flesh idea, this oneness is really important. There's, this, there's these other verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? And if you're Jewish, you know this really well. It's called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and a little bit on, it's got love the Lord your God with all your mind and all that kind of stuff. And a, a good Jew would say it every single day. They'd like recite this as part of their daily prayers. They'd be saying, love the Lord your God. And part of that is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Really interesting kind of subfat for you here. The word for one in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, is the same word used to describe a oneness between a man and his wife. The oneness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is Trinity, is the same word used to describe what a union between a husband and a wife should look like. Now, I know Paul in Ephesians says it's a mystery, and he's right, it's a bit of a mystery. You go, well, how does that work? But that same relationship, that, that same thing, that actually there's, there's three in one, there's three persons, isn't there? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but mysteriously, they're also one person. In the same way, there's, there's me and my wife, and we're two, yet mysteriously in marriage, it's something where you're one. Which is why, traditionally, people take the same last name. They're one. They have the same bank account. They're one. They have the same values and vision for life. They're one, one person, one flesh. And that's why I think, as again, a bit of a sub-point, like if you're kind of pursuing a relationship with someone and you're following Jesus, it's pretty important that they're following Jesus too, right? If you're one, like why compromise on the most important thing, which is faith, for everything else? Like there's a pursuit of oneness in marriage and and that's what is put on here. It's a sign of togetherness. The word kind of talks about how people are glued together. Marriage is like being glued together, like physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It's more than just signing a piece of paper and cracking on with life. It's something that is a serious, lifelong commitment. Jesus, then, has a really, 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 really high view of marriage. Do we see that? Like he says, it's created and it's about oneness. Therefore, a question about divorce isn't just a throwaway light comment because it, it disrupts that oneness and disrupts that created order. So therefore, it's really important that we understand what's going on here. The Pharisees aren't satisfied. They want a bit of wiggle. They don't like Jesus talking about marriage. They want to square Jesus off and sort it out. So they say to him, why then... I've got to put a little voice on for them. Did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Basically, they're saying, Jesus, all well and good you saying marriage is great, but why did Moses then allow husbands to divorce their wives? 
If marriage is so wonderful, why is it permissible under some circumstances? This is what he says. Because of the hardness of heart, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But it was not from the beginning. It was not so. Which, again, is a reference back to Genesis. Like From the beginning, it wasn't always that way. It's something that's coming as a result of the brokenness of us as human beings. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Quite heavy verses, quite hard verses to hear there, but important verses to hear and to try and get our head around what Jesus is saying. It's not always been this way. There is a better way. There is the God way. But because of the hardness of our hearts, because of stuff that goes on in here and we get it wrong, that God in his grace has allowed it under certain circumstances. And today, like, divorce has become so, like, trivialized, hasn't it? Britney Spears getting married for what, like, 12 hours or something? 70, how many days? Oh, that's better than 12 hours, isn't it? All right, I'll give her credit. <laughs> Sorry, Brittany. Um, but, like, you know, it's just become this kind of trivial thing. And I came across this story, right, online of, of a wife filing for divorce. And this was why she filed for divorce because her husband was too nice. <laughs> and he said, I love you too much. This was combined with he was such a good cook, she had put on too much weight and didn't see another option to losing that weight again. That's a true story. Only in America, yeah. Well, not only in America, actually, sadly. But, like, but that's, that's a true story of, like, he's just too nice. Like, it's become this, oh, I'll just, I'll just, we've cheapened it. Society, the world, we've cheapened marriage. And I think it's because we don't have God's view on it. When we go into it, it's like, oh, it's just some words or whatever. But it's not. This is promises, covenants, stuff before God that matters, and it matters to Jesus. And so actually, from the outset, I want to say this. It's really countercultural to fight for your marriages. Really countercultural now. The cultural thing to do is just be like, check out. Countercultural to fight for your marriages despite your differences, despite it being hard sometimes, despite betrayal sometimes and hurt sometimes. But to fight, to believe in reconciliation, to believe the best, to ask for forgiveness and grace and to, to pursue those things is a really countercultural thing for us to do. You know, divorce doesn't happen where two people love each other sacrificially. It doesn't happen where both people love the other sacrificially. It just doesn't happen. It happens when we serve ourselves. But that's the human condition. That's what we're doing all the time. Every single one of us has got to fight it. Got to fight to live God-honoring lives because our natural inclination is to just do our own thing. Circumstance and all these kind of things come into play, but it's falling short of God's ideal. But God gives us grace even in that. Don't you just love that, right? I love that. Even in the pit, right? Even in the hardest things in our life, even in the most difficult things, whether we've gone through divorce, we've experienced it, our parents have experienced it, whatever it might be, even in that, there's God's grace. That it's not beyond hope. It's not beyond forgiveness. It's not beyond redemption. It's not beyond God giving second chances. Because I think sometimes churches come across and say that. Say you're beyond hope if that's what's happened. That's not what Jesus has to say at all. So it's not what we're going to say. In fact, I think God 
gives us these things because he wants us to start again. The God of second chances. Back in the day, husbands would literally just ditch their wives. That's what would happen. It was a protective measure to ensure that they couldn't. Can't just be like, see you later, suckers. That, that was happening. And what would happen was the wife would be left isolated. She'd be left alone. She'd be left with no one. She'd just be abandoned. That's not good. That's not right. That's not God-honoring, is it? That's not a positive thing for our society. And it shouldn't look like that. Jesus here says that divorce is allowed in certain circumstances because of the hardness of our hearts. And hardness of our hearts, the way of understanding that is not as a one-off expression of just, oh, I, I messed up once. It's like a continual, habitual thing that is just ongoing. A lack of repentance, a lack of change, a stubbornness. Confronted with the truth, refusing to change, refusing to go God's way. A willfulness to not get help. A willfulness to not work together towards a common cause. Because of those kind of things, there's divorce. And it's something that just we shouldn't like. Anyone that's gone through it, I think, would say it's just something that I don't like. Because it's just not something good. It's not something that God likes. But it's something that is there as a last resort. But before that, God wants us to strive to make our marriages work. And I think as Christians, we have a responsibility to help other people strive to make their marriages work. Not to be people that are encouraging breakup and drama and all that kind of stuff, but to be encouraging reconciliation and grace where that's possible. Being people of grace and forgiveness. After all, just look with me if you've got a Bible at where this passage fits in the Bible. Like, these things don't happen by accident either, guys. You know, when they've been put together by Matthew, he's not just bodged it. You've got passages on forgiveness. You've got passages on grace. You've got passages on difficult relationships and making it worse. And then he whacks in a verses about divorce. Why? Because it's the most intimate, the most intense relationship you have. And he knows you are going to rub up against each other and you are going to have issues and problems. And no marriage, I need to say this, not a single marriage ever is perfect. We know that, right? Just check him. Mine's not. Uh, you know, and that marriage on Instagram that you see and everyone's always happy, that's not perfect either. <laughs> it's just a drama to make you look, oh, they're awesome. They're not. Their marriage is a wreck like mine. Because it's got, I don't mean like a try. I'm not going to air all my dirty laundry, but my point is like, we're, we're, hu <laughs> we're, like we're, hu we're human beings, aren't we? Right? So we're human beings. So we mess up. We hurt one another. It's not perfect. Every relationship has its ups and downs. Every single one. Because it's two people that are kind of trying to navigate life as best they can. So you come into conflict, don't you? I remember um, <laughs> first six months of marriage. Maybe it's a year, actually. Six months is probably like being generous. The first year of my marriage to Grace was really hard, but not because of her. Because of me. Because I was a complete like swamp rat. Like, I was just living like I'd always lived. Oh, yeah, I'll get in and we'll whack the Winter Olympics on. I mean, we still don't watch, like, period dramas. That's, like, where I've drawn the line. But, like, the, like there's still, like, like, actually, there was just massive selfishness in the way that I was living. And actually discovering that as I got married, as all of a sudden I'm in conflict with somebody else. And pretty much all the time, it's me. Because grace is great. 
And those of you know us, Grace is great, and you know, there's people in this church that I know have favorite gowers, um, and there's, there's five of us now, and the order normally goes Grace, Evangeline, Elijah, Bump, Dan. <laughs> I was not even born yet, and I'm already fifth. But like, actually, there's, there's something about no marriage is perfect, and actually that needs to be said. Because some of us will believe that, oh, well, I, if only I had that, or only I had this, or I see this, or I see that. None of it's perfect. All of it falls short. We're all broken people. But you know what? You know what I found really helpful is to avoid hard-heartedness, which is what Jesus is talking about here and leads to fracture, is to keep your heart soft. Keep short accounts. Don't go to bed angry. Be truthful, be authentic, share your heart, be vulnerable. You know what? Be willing to be broken. Be willing to shed a tear. You know what? That's okay. I get a bit emotional. My daughter says, oh, daddy's emotional again. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But you know what it can do by keeping short accounts and doing those things? Keeps our hearts soft towards God, but also towards one another. Because it's when our hearts get stubborn and we're so set in our ways, that's when we get into trouble. But if we keep our hearts soft before God, and you know what, God, you know what, I need to, I've got this wrong again. I need you to help me to see. We'll get it right. Because God wants all of you to be completely whole people. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. He wants you to be whole And sometimes some of the stuff that we carry means that we don't experience that wholeness because it it hits us. Even as adults here, you know, if you've experienced divorce, perhaps your parents, uh, broken marriages, broken homes, it will hit you. It will catch you. It will hurt you. There needs to be a solution to that hurt, doesn't there? There needs to be a solution to the brokenness. And it's Jesus is greater I love that we sang that song about mercy and grace and that Jesus is greater than it all. Really, whatever our hurts, whatever our past, Jesus is greater than it all. The deepest wounds he can heal, he can make right. But the one question, I I do want to just cover this because it's there in the text and I wouldn't be being faithful to the Bible to just avoid it, is what Jesus goes on to say. You've got your hardness of heart, which I think I've established is absolutely everybody. It's not exclusively for people that have been through that, but it's for all of us. But then Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't trivialize your marriage. Don't take it lightly. It's not one in, one out. It's not pick and mix. It's a lifelong commitment. We can't just say things like, I don't just love that person anymore, or I don't just like that person anymore, so let's get a divorce. Doesn't work like that before God. That's what he's saying. It doesn't work like that. It's not cheap because it's of God, which is why Jesus raises the bar of what marriage is. Jesus does give an exception, if you like, and says sexual immorality. And um, that word's a different word to the word adultery in the Greek, so it's not confined, I don't believe to just adultery um, as an exception to divorce and remarriage uh, because it's a different Greek word, but it speaks of marital unfaithfulness. 
Now, what that means, your guess is as good as mine in many ways. But if you tie that in with hard-heartedness, you start to get a picture. Habitual stuff, drug abuse that's habitual and isn't broken, perhaps. Abusive alcoholic, it's not a good place to be, is it? Of course, adultery and sexual immorality are a part of that and a part of Matthew 19 and what Jesus says. But I think it's unrepentant hard-heartedness in our marriages and, and things like abusive situations and adultery. Now, does that mean that if your wife or husband commits adultery that you automatically have to divorce them? I don't think so. I think first we, we, we raise the bar. We say, can this be reconciled? Can this be worked out? Let's strive and fight for our marriages. But you know what? Sometimes they can't be resolved because of hard-heartedness. Can they? So what then? Well, God in his grace somehow allows it and says, in that realm, then that's, that's what's going to happen. But we can't just have a catch-all sweeping statement. I don't think we can because everybody is different. Do you see that? Like, marriage is the same. The principles of marriage is the same. But no two people in a marriage are the same. Pastoral situations vary far and wide, right? Every marriage is going to be different. Every marriage is going to have a story that brings you to the point of conflict or considering divorce. We can't just have a sweeping statement. But marriage is something that is supposed to convey to the world the hope of who Jesus is. As you go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you've got the marriage of the church and Christ and this beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that's on display for the world to see as this is what Christian faith looks like. Strong, sacrificial love for one another. And I will say this, we have to contend for our marriages to work. They don't just work, you have to contend for them. You have to take ground for them. You have to work hard at them. And I, I believe this with all my heart, that whilst there is breath in people's lungs, there's hope. No matter how disastrous the situation, whilst there is breath in people's lungs, there is hope for reconciliation. Because God can change anyone. If God can change me, then he can change anyone. We've got to believe that, haven't we? We can't write people off no matter how far gone, no matter how damaging a situation. We can't do that. Every saint has a past. Every single one of us. If we're a follower of Jesus, we have a past. There's things we've done we regret, I'm sure. But Jesus is greater. And every sinner, everyone who falls short, everyone who feels wretched here today can have a future in Jesus. No matter how far gone. We need to know that's true. You need to know that's true. And you need to know that's true in our relationships with one another. We have to have a high view of it because Jesus did. And we can't have a legalist attitude. Like a really legalistic attitude would be this. If you're unhappy, just get a divorce. Anything goes. I don't think that's faithful to what Jesus says. I don't think that's right. Because he doesn't say it. And that would be one extreme of a real legalistic prayer. Anything goes, do what you like, it doesn't matter. It does matter because marriage matters. The other side of, of, of the coin, if you like, is you must never divorce under any circumstance. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying either. It's somewhere in between. Somewhere in the grey of life. Somewhere in the muddle and the brokenness of life. That's where that is. 
And so I think it's on a, I genuinely think it's like a case-by-case basis for these kind of things. Unique to different people at different times, different situations. But our principles are we love marriage and we're going to strive for it. And we're going to do what we can to make this work. But you know what? If you're in an abusive relationship, you're being abused, you don't want to be there. You've got to get out of that. That's not safe. That's not a good place to be. Maybe the trial separation of some kind and see if they repent and they change their hardness of heart and you come back to that. Sure. But that's not what I'm advocating here. Please don't mishear me on that at all. Like, if it's, if it's a place where it's damaging, like, actually, there's got to be repentance and there's got to be change, hasn't there? It can't just be this ongoing cycle of destruction because that just hurts us and wrecks us loads too. But soft hearts lead to change in people. And I've seen, I know, couples that are on the verge of divorce and have contended for their marriage and are happily married years later. And I also know people that have contended for their marriage but there's been hard-heartedness and they've gone separate ways. Is one wrong and one right? I think as long as we're right before God and we've done all we can before God, then we've done the right thing. To finish, I want to mention some other stuff because Jesus here does talk about singleness as well because if you're married and then you're unmarried, then you're what? You're single um, and there's others that are single and it's important this. That our kingdom usefulness before God is not confined to our marital status. You are not useful for the kingdom of God before you are, if you're married versus if you're single. That would be me like, the day before I was married, I'm useless. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, God's gift to mankind the day that I'm married. Like, it doesn't work like that. Whatever phase of life we find ourselves in is the opportunity to serve the kingdom of heaven. That's right, isn't it? And in many ways, there's pros and cons to both. There's cost to both. And uh, the disciples are like, well, with all this drama regarding all this stuff, Jesus, is it not easier to just be single? As my friend Joe Boston says, a single Pringle. Is that not just easier? Is that just less drama? And Jesus' response says, well, actually, yes, that's true. But it's only given to some. I want to paraphrase. This is from the message translation because I think it puts it really helpfully in just trying to understand how Jesus responds here. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Jesus says, that's okay. Others never get asked or want to accept it for themselves. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. I think that's a really useful way of thinking about it. It's not for everyone. There's going to be some that don't accept it. There's going to be some that aren't interested at all. But the New Testament never regards it as second best. Never regards it as second best. I think society does, and I think that's unhelpful. It's never seen by Jesus or God as second best. Both marriage and singleness have an extremely high calling. And I, I just want to finish by asking this question. I know it's been it's quite tough. It's, it's been tough to talk about it as much as to listen, I'm sure. What does it all mean? For me, it's as simple as this. We're all human beings. We're all messed up. We're all broken. We're all vulnerable. We're all hurting we all fall short of the standard that God set. Whether we're married, 
whether we're single, whether we're divorced, we fall short. And as we travel through life, we carry residue of all kinds of things, all kinds of brokenness that relationships have upon our hearts. But as Christians, we're called to something higher. We're called to showcase the kingdom of heaven. We're called to love and to run after the things that Jesus does, even when it's really hard. And I think by treasuring marriage as a God-given union and living holy lives, we do that. Consider 1 Corinthians 13, those famous verses. I want to live in a world that looks like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrong, but it rejoices with truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That's what I want. That's the bar. That's what we're to attain to. For some of us this morning, hearing some of that is really tough. For some of us, it kind of brings back stuff, I think. Our own experiences, our own vulnerabilities. And I just want you to know this. I want you to hear this. You're loved. You're loved. Maybe in our human relationships, we've not experienced that. We're broken because of that. But God's not like that. God loves. Whatever our past, whether we live with regret or it's the best decision we think we ever made, God loves you. God treasures you. God's got a plan for your life. If you're the son or daughter of someone that's broken, God loves you. God values you. God wants you to be whole. And we do that through him. Every single one of us is broken in different ways. But for some of us, this will be a lot more sensitive than others. And you know what? That's okay. And it's right that it is. But you need to hear God loves you. You need to hear that. And that's, I think, how Jesus phrases this whole passage. That it's not legalistically anything goes. And it's not legalistically you can't do this. But it's because I love you. Because I know you. Because I, I want what's best for you. This is what it looks like. Let's try and attain to that together. And you know what? For marriage... To be something we attain to is for every single one of us. Whether married, divorced, or single, we're in it together. Those values, those kingdom values that we talked about at the start are things we have to hold dear and things we have to value.